Hits. Hello and welcome to 90% Hits, a podcast about the number one singles in Australia throughout the 90s. I'm Danny Yao and with me as usual is Tim Coyle. I brought my own mic. <laughs> Casey Atkins. Oh, good one. I like it. Hello, everyone. And down the line from the Gold Coast, Tim Byron. Morning, Rich. Morning, all. <laughs> Morning to you too, Tim Byron. Uh, today we are going to talk about another five songs that hit number one in Australia throughout the 90s. We will be talking about a period that covers the 4th of April 1992 till the, ooh, the 13th of June 1992, covering a good three months. Let's get right into it. Number one for two weeks of the 4th of April 1992, The Twelfth Man featuring MCG Hammer with <laughs> the MCG or the Gabba or the Wacker or the Adelaide Oval or the SCG, it doesn't matter where we are down under in Australia this summer. Because when it's summer in Australia, if you don't like cricket, I can tell you it's a real bummer that because cricket is the number one game in town. Yo! Just ask anyone around. Yo! Yo, boys, and from Bondi in the east across to Bunbury in the west, from Darwin to the Dandenongs, whatever your address might be, you can see me on the TV. Well, not just me, but the commentary team. They're sort of my boys, if you know what I mean. You know, I thought captaining Australia was a pretty tough job. But I can tell you it's absolutely nothing compared to looking after this mob. Let me see. There's Bill and Tony. Morning, Rich. Morning, all. And Greg and Ian. Yes, morning, Rich. And our special guests, Sunil and Tony C. Good morning. And, of course, there's me. And we say, what a marvellous catch. That's a marvellous shot. A marvellous crowd, the Victorians. Come on, fellas, let's kick it. We're the commentary team, and we call the game. It's marvellous. Yes, everything's marvellous. Because it's marvellous. Look, let's let's go around and see how everyone feels about this song. Tim Coyle, why don't we start with you? Okay, well, uh, I think I could preface this by safely saying we're all pretty big cricket fans in here, and... Australia being Australia, it's no surprise this got to, to number one. Um, looking back at it now, the whole 12 man phenomenon is quite an odd one, but it was phenomenally popular at the time. And my parents wouldn't let me listen to it. So <laughs> I, I didn't actually hear this song for quite some time after it had been number one because the clip was not played on Rage. And um, yeah, so the buzz had kind of passed by the time I listened to it. And ultimately, the the joke of the 12th man that Richie Benno is the only sane man in a team of idiots, which is as a dynamic is actually true of the Channel 9 cricket broadcasting. Um, especially today. Especially yeah. today, and especially when compared with, say, cricket coverage in the UK, where you can have Richie Benno and David Gower commentating at the same time which is uh, millennia away from the quality that you get here. But I didn't get that dynamic at the time. It was just this guy was doing these funny and accurate impressions with the voices. And yet listening to it this week was a bit odd because it, it preempts whatever criticism you can make of it on musical grounds by basically signposting what a pile of shit it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see about that. Um, 
<laughs> Casey Atkins, how about you? Um, yeah, I knew it really well at the time. My dad was crazy for the 12th Man stuff. And I guess similar to you, it was a while before I was allowed to listen to them. But by this stage, I, well, I guess because I had an older brother who was allowed to listen to them a few years earlier and, and it got to the point where he, they just couldn't get away with not letting me listen to them up until that point. Um, it, it's funny, those 12th Man tapes, because they were tapes at the time, um, is probably what made me actually get into cricket, I think, <laughs> strangely <laughs> enough. And the song, it's funny, we've talked about this, but haven't actually really talked about the song much. Um, the song is bloody dreadful, <laughs> of course, but I loved it then. I thought it was the funniest thing in the world, but I was. It, it came off the back of something that I thought was the funniest thing in the world at the time, so I loved it, and now it's just... Ugh, whatever. <laughs> but you know, it's uh it's got Diesel and Jimmy Barnes in it. Uh and John Pollock. And Richie Benner. Uh <laughs> Tim Byron, what about you? Well, do you reckon they, they came up with the idea of doing this song? Because someone came up with the idea of MCG Hammer. Yes. Yeah, maybe. Yes, I do. I do. It's kind of like the punk came first and like, oh, shit, we've got to do a rap song now. Because the thing about The Twelfth Man, it, was, it wasn't songs like this. It was more like skits, like sort of comedy sketch kind of things where they'd be commentating and things would happen and they'd say racist things about Sri Lankan player names and that kind of thing, right? Yeah, exactly. So I never really listened to The um to the Twelfth Man kind of thing. But I loved Marvelous because like, I think they must have played it on the radio um, in Sydney with that I was listening to on Today FM in the nightly countdown. So I heard this and I got the cat single for it and I listened to it over and over again. Because the thing was that, um, that when I was 10, I just loved, loved cricket. In, in 1991, um, in fact, that there was like a cartoon company or cartoon connection. One of the Saturday morning cartoon shows had a competition where you had to draw a picture of your hero and send it in and you might win like a, a bunch of VHS of like classic children's movies like um, Wizard of Oz and Win, Wind the Willows and stuff like that. And so I um, found a picture of Alan Border and painstakingly <laughs> drew it to be like Alan Border and um, and sent it in and I won. You won? I won all those VHSs of um, Wizard what? of Oz. It, it, so, wasn't, it wasn't Booney? <laughs> I was too young to understand the, the genius of Booney <laughs> and his, um, his Antipodean flights um, and his 52 beers and blah, blah, blah. But yeah. Alan Border was my hero at that point. Like I loved that he could um, bowl out the West Indies with his spin as well as bat really well. So um, because he did in 1989. So I, I loved cricket, and in fact, I always wanted to be like you know my dream was to become the Australian cricket captain at that point. And um, I, I would never had a chance because my dad had no interest whatsoever in taking me to like cricket games on the weekend. Like the idea must have just bored him shitless. And so like I had piano lessons instead. So I became the, the piano player that you all know now, but I could have been the Australian cricket captain, damn it. Well, that's the thing. If, you, if your piano skills were basically transferred to cricket skills, you would be the Australian captain by now. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you never know. But um, so, yeah, so cricket is something I still love. And I listened to this uh, today and, and yesterday and was listening to it. And I was surprised by how many of the lyrics I can remember. I could probably recite to you most of the first verse up until the chorus. With, yes, you know, um right now like because they're just in my head so i love this at the time and like i listen to it now and i kind of know it's dreadful um i, I think um billy burbingham's got a reasonably good rap rap flow he's a better rapper than vanilla ice he's probably about as good as nancy cartwright <laughs> danny yeah i don't remember this song very well at all really i kind of do a little bit that uh 
at the Wackerd and all that stuff, that line, I think, yeah, there's a memory there somewhere. But, yeah, it just wasn't something that crossed my radar. Twelfth Man was huge in school. Like, yeah. other kids liked it. Twelfth Man was huge in shops. I remember walking into shops and seeing <laughs> albums, like, on the racks and going, this, this guy. Um, around this time, they probably had a couple of Twelfth Man albums that were TV advertised that I remember seeing yeah, the ads for. Yeah. So it was sort of around. But, yeah, I just I, – I, I love cricket as well. Um, maybe not as much as some of the other people in the room, but it's just a terrible song. Like, just, <laughs> there's some really cool things going on lyrically. Like, I love the fact that he can throw in these phrases that are so interesting and making him almost work in a musical context. Like but the whacker and the gabber and all that kind of thing. Yeah, the whacker and the gabber and just, you know, throwing in those references, which you know how much I love shoehorning Australian references into things. Uh, but in terms of nutritional value of music, it's just, yeah. it's, it's not even eating junk food, it's eating a cardboard box. There's just nothing <laughs> about it that would, like, I don't know, I don't know if I'm ever going to listen to this song again after tonight. So that's how, yeah, but I definitely don't remember as well as you guys. You guys seem to have memorised it. I oh, absolutely. And, the, and the, the album, which was still The Twelfth Man, the dates intrigued me because that album didn't get to number one until the end of '92. Um, that I wasn't on, it. Wasn't on that album, as far as I can. I know it was. It was. It was yeah. on Still the Twelfth Man. Oh, sorry, till the end of what year are we at? '92. We're on '92. Yeah. So it didn't get to number one until the end of '92, and that was actually how I heard the how I listened to the song this week because I do have the album. <laughs> it is sitting on my iTunes, um, and it's like the last skit. Oh. On that album is this song. The the thing is, he's had a really horrible day, calling the the game at the you know MCG or whatever he, wherever he's working, and he goes home early. And this song comes on in the cab on the way home, in the, like on the radio in the cab on the way home. And that's how they introduced it into the album. Right. So much like um, the cows. East Street shoehorn that we had, <laughs> exactly the same in every way. Um, <laughs> We all seem to have some affection for the Twelfth Man to some degree. Yeah. Uh, does it come from the fact that we were at the age that we were? Like, when did we grow out of it, or have we grown out of it? Um, I've, I've listened to them recently and enjoyed them on a kind of nostalgic level. Um, but also, there was a point. I think this was the last album that was actually good, and he's done like half a dozen posts that were just dreadful and mm. the same gag. Just like he, he really jumped the shark at a point. Um, but I still think that there's some genuine comedic value in the in the records up to and including this point. Yeah, I think as I said earlier, he fundamentally got what the dynamic was on that particular commentary team, which, as I said, is Richie Benno is the straight man, and look, I love Richie Benno. I think he's a phenomenal commentator, and he is probably Australia's greatest ever captain as well. But, yeah, he's just always being managed to be surrounded by complete fucking idiots, and that's what <laughs> Birmingham got so well. But that is a very one-note dynamic to be to be riffing on for so many years, and, yeah, it just kind of wore out its welcome. I don't know. I don't think um, Bill Laurie's not a complete fucking idiot. He's slightly <laughs> biased towards Victorians, perhaps, just slightly. But um, they, you know, he, he was an Australian captain, and he was a good a good batsman at what he's doing. Like um, Ian Chappell as well. Um, I'm, I'm not going to contrarian by I'm, nature. 
I'm not going to dispute um, these guys' contributions as as players or even as representatives of the game. As you point out, Bill Laurie was a captain and a fine opening batsman. Ian Chappell, what can you say about his quality as a player? But as commentators, no. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm um, I'm thinking better of them in these days because I compare those to, say, Heels or Slats or Mark <laughs> Nicholas. Uh, who, but I think, like, the, the dynamic in the 12th man, like, is that these these men, like Bill Laurie and, um, and Richie and Ian Chappell, like, they're, they're sort of dignified elder statesman kind of types. And so, like, one of the things that made the 12th man funny was that, like, these they had these sort of comedy skits where, like, these guys were swearing and carrying on and being idiots and, um, you know, that they're sort of built up in the commentary team to be, like, these kind of, like, you know, they know everything about cricket and, you know, sort of making fun of them. And it works because they had that kind of dignity. It's In, in a way, it's kind of like um, like a lolcat picture because cats have that kind of inner dignity to them. And when they when they do something stupid and then they pretend that it never happened, it's funny. And this is sort of funny on the same level as a lolcat. <laughs> right. You heard it here first. Twelfth man, funny on the same level as a lolcat. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to our second track of tonight. This song was number one for four weeks from the 18th of April, 1992. And this is Under the Bridge by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Absolutely loved it. And the biggest memory that I had of it, um, I watched the video clip and didn't even really need to. That was one of those video clips that was just ingrained on my brain. And the the scene that I was waiting for when I was watching it this week is that scene with the um with Chad Smith, the drummer, and they do the mirror effect and he's got the oh, yeah, yeah. the stitch <laughs> when he's doing that cross stick thing. And I just <laughs> remember thinking that that was the most amazing thing ever. Maybe I hadn't seen the Bohemian Rhapsody clip at that point and I just thought that that mirrored effect was the cleverest thing I'd ever seen in the video clip. 
Um, but I, I thought it was wonderful. It was also one of those things that, as a guitarist, it was that that thing yeah. that you just learned and learned really badly. I learned it incredibly wrong because somebody showed me how to play it just wrong, um, and that's how I played it for quite a long time. And then I forgot how to play it. Um, but I, I thought it was a really great song, and I still actually think it's a really, really great song. Um, my first, definitely my first look at the Red Hot Chili Peppers, um, the first thing I'd ever heard, and um, for a little while I was um, I was quite into them. I thought it was a great song, and I, and I still think it holds up. Tim Byron, what about you? In 1992, I hated this with the fire of a thousand suns, <laughs> and a thousand galaxies, like Tim Coyle did with the horses. Like this, when this came on Rage, I was just like, Rage is over. Like I, I really, really did hate this bloody mournful dirge of a song at the time in like 1992, and I did not understand why it was at number one. Why? Who is liking this stuff? Who are these crazy <laughs> people like Casey? Apparently, <laughs> like this stuff. And like, I didn't oh, buy I, it. <laughs> oh, well, that excuses you then. But um, <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, at the time, I really, really disliked this song. I didn't get it at all. Of course, you know, three, four years later, I got into alternative music and um, I, I really liked Aeroplane by the Red Hot Chili Peppers, which was on the charts sort of in 96 or so. And so I sort of went there and eventually got the Blood Sugar Sex Magic CD and got into Under the Bridge and learned how to play on guitar. And it's a pretty good song to play on guitar. It's just like it's got a nice sort of feel and it's like those kind of nice sort of fiddly bits that are nice to play. So it's it's nice to play on the guitar. It's, you know, it's, mm. it's one of those songs that you, it's so big. It, it's just so ever present and just sort of part, such a part of culture and stuff. You can't really hate it. And so I don't really hate it now. The Red Hot Chili Peppers do what they do as well as anyone has ever done what they do. Um, that sort of white boy funk kind of thing. What, what can you say? The, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Tim Coyle. Yeah, I loved it. And, uh, we spoke last week of uh, Losing My Religion, which was probably the first song I got the hairs on the back of my neck thing happening with. This is probably the second. Um, it was just possibly for all the reasons Tim Byron hated it was why I liked it because it was just this slow, mournful kind of song and the haunting outro with the, the kitty choir and stuff. And mm. by all rights, this song should be terrible. Look at the lyrics. It's written about Los Angeles as as his mother, and some of the production things, like the the kitty choir, the clip which has Anthony Cadis running shirtless in slow mo into the camera. These are all incredibly hate worthy things, and yet it all works so well. And yeah, I, I really loved it at the time. And listening to it this week, I still I've still got such a soft spot for this song, even if I don't really like the Red Hot Chili Peppers that much, because yeah, I just find them eminently hateable, and their fan base in particular are just such a bunch of jerks. <laughs> um, yeah, it, bye it bye about half our fans. Yeah, <laughs> we enjoy you listening to us. Including, yes, including you, dear listener. <laughs> <laughs> it makes them incredibly hard to like, and they never really scaled these heights again. I, I don't mind some other songs. Uh, Breaking the Girl is also really good and uh, as this scar tissue. So, yeah, uh, a band I don't like who have the occasional decent song and then this, which I love. I have, have trouble with this song. I think I'm pretty slightly towards Tim Byron's boat when it first came out. Didn't quite get it. It didn't quite. It was okay, 
My clearest memory of this song in 1992 was the Late Show parody version. I was going to bring that up if you didn't, which but is I just kind of think that you bring it up first. Yeah, I've probably seen that film clip more than I've seen the end of the film clip now. <laughs> I think that. What did the Late Show do? I don't think I've ever seen that. <laughs> well, they did a parody of it, and the premise of the parody is: given enough time, every rock band writes an Eagles ballad to try and get on radio, and right. this was theirs, and it was pretty funny. And the Eagles comparison for this song, this is definitely their Hotel California. And it's just, uh, and sometimes that, I mean, you like Hotel California? You like this song, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're just talking about two songs that yeah, I sure, like. But I mean, there's, you um, can pick two songs that I like. That, you know. Sure. Um, but, yeah, for me, and then sort of later as the years went by, having worked at Warner's for a long time, having to work with this band, uh, on a couple of records, it was just like, okay, this song starts to make sense, and out of context, without it being this '90s, early '90s grunge anthem, it was like, okay, I see the beauty of this, and the fact he's so in love with his city and everything that it says in it. It's 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 a really really beautiful song. I understand why buskers everywhere play it, but then in more recent years, I come to hate it again. Oh, really? <laughs> like it just goes. There was a time where it just made. I know, <laughs> but now I just, and I think, and and this happens, I guess, to a lot of these sort of bands, my feelings about this song is tied to my feelings about the band, and when my when my hatred for this band softened, <laughs> I like this song, and nowadays I just, like, I think of the last Red Hot Chili Peppers album, and I want to hurt myself. <laughs> and the, Which one was the last one? I'm With You. Oh God! The one that came after Stadium Arcadium. Yeah. And um, <laughs> poor guy, mm. you're working in the industry. Like you have to hear these things. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, and I have a very strange relationship with Red Hot Chili Peppers as well because of that. But um, yeah, Tim Cole, you mentioned some songs that you liked. I mean, what you know? I don't know. Are you a, are you a fan of the Red Hot Chili Peppers? No, no. That, I think I think I made it abundantly clear. <laughs> I'm not. A fan of the Red Is it part of what they do that you're into? Or? <sighs> On occasion, they just they hit upon something as with as with this song, or say with something like scar tissue, and largely John Frusciante has provided their their better moments, which, given their complete lack of stability as far as lineup is concerned, was a problem mm. for them. But um, yeah, just that little that little riff on scar tissue, I think, is a, a fantastic hook and. Yeah, uh, they just had the knack of occasionally cranking a song like this out. But generally, no, they, they were something uh, another beast entirely. And they did that uh, frat boy funk thing, which I find pretty detestable. Tim Byron, what about you? Um, Tim Core mentioned Breaking the Girl earlier, and I think that's a great song. And I like um, Parallel Universe from Californication. But like, it's, a, it's an album called Californication. And yeah. like it sort of says it all. It's like, uh, and yeah, the, the red hot. I mean, the red hot chili peppers do what they do really well. <laughs> so they have Californication. It just reminds me that there's there's got to be an onion headline at some point where just red hot chili peppers releases an album about LA, right? <laughs> wow, amazing. <laughs> so, but yeah, I guess like with the red hot chili peppers, they've got two songs. Like they've got the funk song that they do. And they've got the ballad thing that they do. And so Under the Bridge is the same song as Soul to Squeeze and My Friends and all the other songs that sound like that. And like Suck My Kiss and Give It Away and like 
you know, they've got that funk song that they do that they keep on doing over and over again. They've got they're like a band that's got two different songs, and they're both pretty good songs. And I reckon they're they're like they're one of those teenage bands. I reckon that as a teenager, they speak to you like the Doors do, you know. But like after you yeah. grow up, it's they're, like uh. just, they're <laughs> definitely they're definitely a band that you grow out of. Aren't they? There's, there's something quite juvenile about mm. the bulk of their material, and to be fair. For me, Under the Bridge avoids that a bit because this is actually, it's a song that's quite uh, raw and vulnerable, whereas most of their music is anything but. It's, there's a lot of machismo going on, whereas this is, is really um, opening a vein. So <laughs> Casey, what hot chili peppers in here? Yeah, I've got a really funny relationship with the red hot chili peppers. Like it seems that most of us do, where I liked. Um, all of the singles from Blood Sugar Sex, Sex Magic, um, I didn't like Scar Tissue at all because for me, Scar Tissue and and the couple of the songs that came from that Californication record were just to me like kind of what you've said, Tim Byron. It's like, oh, you're just doing that song again, kind of thing. So that's all you can do, and that were and then some of the things from One Hot Minute, like My Friends and Aeroplane, I was like, oh, okay, maybe I like the Red Hot Chili Peppers again. And then I'd go off them for a while and think, oh, no, they, these guys suck. And then it, I even really liked By The Way. I thought that that was a great, great single. That song, yeah. That, that, that song. song. And a few things from that record were I, I, I really enjoyed. And then came Stadium Arcadium and things like that. And I was like, okay, I'm out. And I've just got this really up and down thing with them that I've always had. And I think I will always, but I I will always like the songs that I like. So I will always like, um, I think Salt Squiss is great. Breaking the Girls great. Um, Give It Away, Suck My Kiss. Um, By the way, I think there are just some great songs in there and I'll always like those songs. But um, they're that for me. I don't like the Red Hot Chili Peppers, but I really like about you know half a dozen songs. Um, you mentioned the By the Way album, and, and yeah, I think the Zephyr song was probably the last song I liked. Yeah, you know that was a nice little had a nice little hook and, and another sweet little song. Um, I guess it's no surprise that I go f- lean towards the sweetness, mm. and yeah, so I think Salt Squeeze is just a lovely song. It's very vulnerable, and it has a really beautiful film clip as well, and. Uh, it's a lovely little song. Uh, so, like, so there's two songs, and I've only actually really liked one of them. Can't <laughs> <laughs> kind of handle suck my kiss. I mean, their cover of um, Love Really Love Has to be a higher player song. Yeah, see, so, no, Higher Ground just sucks. Their version of <laughs> high, like who, who, who's with? Oh, you know what? Great song, Higher Ground. What it needs is Anthony Kiedis. Um, <laughs> our third song of tonight is. But it was number one for three weeks on the 16th of May, 1992. And this is To Be With You by Mr. Big. Hold on, little girl. Show me what he's done to you. Stand up, little girl. A broken heart can't be that bad when it's through. It's through. Fate would twist of both of you. So come on, baby. Come on over. Let me be the one.
Okay, that was Mr. Big with To Be With You, number one for three weeks. I think I'm going to leave Casey Atkins to last. Uh, Tim Byron, why don't we start with you? We haven't started with you yet tonight. What do you think of To Be With You? Yeah, I also dislike this one. And in fact, I don't really have like a, a huge memory of this from the time. I don't really remember seeing it on Rage. Maybe I saw um, Under the Bridge and then turned off the TV, so I never got around to seeing this one. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think I remember at the time thinking this was kind of lame. Like that these were like I think by this point I'd figured out that metal dudes doing ballads is kind of like they're kind of soft and they're kind of lame. And like I think um, I think by this point I'd seen the video for "Come as You Are" by Nirvana, and the thing I never really kind of connected to "Smells Like Teen Spirit" at the time. But something about "Come as You Are" I really connected to, and I think. Um, Hearing this one after hearing Come As You Are, I think like it, it gave me a bit of that kind of, ah, oh, yeah, this is bullshit kind of thing about it. So I never really connected <laughs> to this one. Um, I think I always kind of thought it was fake bullshit and it kind of is. Yeah. Listening to it now, like as an adult, like all I hear in it is like, because I, I, I like to write songs and so I've been writing songs for a long time. And so I've read those kind of songwriting books that are about like how to write the right song. And all those books are actually about how to write like songs like Diane Warren. They're about how to write commercial pop songs that um, Celine Dion will want to sing more or less. Like that's sort of what they're aimed at. And this is that kind of song. It's like a, a song that Celine Dion could cover. It's a song that like anybody could have done. Apparently the bass player or the lead singer or something wrote it when they were 16, but it still sounds like that kind of song that is a Celine Dion kind of song. Tim Coyle, I mean, what about you? <laughs> look, okay, um, I, I've I've stopped drinking for the month of May and when I heard <laughs> hearing this song, it was so difficult <laughs> to just not go home and get a flagon of whiskey just to erase the memory of this hideous, hideous, hideous fucking song. <laughs> um, you need some I, of Job's forget-me-nots. Yeah, I, uh, I needed a whole bottle of forget me <laughs> along with the flagon of whiskey. Um, I didn't really like it at the time either, and it had that kind of really douchey campfire song feel about it. Yeah, it doesn't and adjust. Yeah, it's just it's Michael <laughs> Rowe the boat ashore, sung by a bunch of long-haired dickheads. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, like... So 1992, 11 and 12 in year six at my school, the girls in class loved this song at the time. Fortunately, they all would all grow up to hate guys who use come-ons like this. And listening to it now is just such a patronising, hideous song and the lyrics are just so awful and, you know, you, you really do hope this guy never, ever, ever had sex again after <laughs> recording this. Sadly, I think yeah. he probably did. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's definitely a girl song, isn't it? I'm, I'm going to get my thoughts on this before I get to Casey, but, um, yeah, it's definitely a song that, I mean, it's that thing, right, the metal bands, what the ballad that the girls love because that's how you get the groupies and yeah it's just so definitely one note of that vein that it's just frustrating like there are nice moments to the song but it's just living in the context of such a shit song <laughs> <laughs> and by such a shit band yeah i just there's a fantastic bit in wikipedia when you look up um to be with you 
and there is a chapter in, in the Wikipedia article for this song called Content, uh, in which uh, the only thing written in there is one sentence saying, to be with you is about a man who has his eye on a woman who has recently experienced a broken heart from a previous relationship. Um, <laughs> and it's just like, that's about as much soul that's oh, in the yeah, song. Yeah. And it's just that overblown performance, that overacting that he's doing, that, uh, you know, I kind of liked in Boys to Men, but I don't like here. And it's just like, <laughs> I don't know. And, yeah, the, the thing that, the, the, another reason to hate it was that all the girls loved it and they loved that line about, um, oh, what's that little boy that talk too much? And I am a little boy who talks too much. So <laughs> fuck you. And all those girls who ended up going to a fucking Mr. Big gig to try and sleep with him. I hope, you know, you had a horrible first anal experience with a roadie. <laughs> Jeez. Casey Atkins. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Right, you're off the podcast. <laughs> hey, look, somebody's going to play the Danny Yao in this one. Um. <laughs> um. Now, my tense was very important in that. I liked it. I liked it. Um, yeah, I, I did like it. And I also liked So this was Mr. B pulling the extreme, right? Yes. Because Extreme had just... And they and they out-extremed Extreme because that song, the Extreme one, which was More Than Words, didn't get to number one here, but this one did. I don't know how they all did in the States. But, um, and on that level, I, I liked it then. I remember... <laughs> I did remember, though, from watching the clip, um, wondering... I couldn't figure out whether it was a dude or a gypsy. <laughs> 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 and... Yeah, it was just a song that I liked. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, and so listening to it this week, and it's just, I, I don't have, I couldn't muster any hatred for it. I just think that that's, there's, there's no time for things like that. It's piss poor. I mean, it's a shitty little song. But there's some, an interesting kind of um, things going on. I mean, I, the words are a bit, like the lyrics are not only just like, bad but they're a bit dodgy like i'm trying to figure out no, there's just, very this, just like and they bug me a whole lot this is just like this queue of dudes apparently <laughs> yeah <that's> a, well, <laughs> there's, there's a joke there's a joke on quite a few websites that this was written after he was waiting on a line of greens and blues that he was just kind of waiting in a line while, while the girl was trained at a party, Ooh. and green is envy, and blue is and depression. Blue is depression. What's it, what, what, what exactly he's doing, hanging out in a in a line while whilst everyone's stooping this this girl at a party is kind of what she gets to you, and then she'll find out that oh yeah, he really loves me. <laughs> Let's stop this whole charade. <laughs> this song and um and more than words, they're both quite actually quite passive aggressive songs. Like more than words is kind of about saying you know if you really love me, you'll give me a blowjob. Whereas, like, this one's kind of like, it's about being in the friend zone. Like, he's he's giving her sympathy and stuff because he wants to fuck her, really. And he doesn't actually really care about her problems with this guy. He just wants to fuck her. And, like, it's, it's that kind of, you know, dodgy kind of friend zone kind of thing in this. Yeah, but, the, but there's, there's that one line, why be alone when we can be together? Yeah. It's like, you know, you don't even have to like me much. Yeah. Why be alone? <laughs> no, okay, see, I, I think it comes back to a context thing because... There is something 
we can all hear, we, we love rock and roll and we love the romance of rock and roll. We can all pick 50 great lines about sung by a guy about winning over a girl that, you know, whether it's I, I'll steal a car to drive you home by Teenage Fan Club or you ain't been pretty or hey, you're all right or oh, you and me, you, babe, if, how about it? Like, you know, I'm yeah, just yeah, looking if, yeah, if he was stealing but, a car, that would make it eminently more respectable. <laughs> but... If Mr. Big sang any of those lines, it would sound that bad. Yeah, like yeah. It's, it's context. Well, even that that opening line, it's kind of uh, hold on, little girl. Now the thing is, Bruce Springsteen or any number of bluesmen can say that, and it can it can be a legitimate come yeah. on. Whereas this is just oh, it's such a patronising line. And you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna use that line, at least talk about how big your cock is or something. <laughs> <laughs> And, and with that high mom. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on to our fourth song of tonight. This is uh, One in a Million by Euphoria. <laughs> Euphoria, it was number one for one week on the 6th of June, 1992. I'll, I'll give Tim Coyle a break after that one. Uh, Tim Byron, what about you? How do you feel about this song? Well, I think this one is better than Love You Right. Like, I listened to this one and Love You Right back to back. And this one, sort of, it's less screechy and there's kind of more different kind of sounds going on. And I don't mind this in comparison to Love You Right. And it's kind of like, it's still basically anonymous dance pop. And, you know, I'm never going to listen to it again after this week. Um, but, you know, it's, it's okay at doing what I do, what it does, I guess. And, um, yeah, I don't think I have much more to say about it than that. <laughs> <laughs> Casey Atkins. Uh, I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's much worse than Love You Right. I... I actually remember it really, really well. And I'm going to have to say, I'm, I was trying to figure out the best way to get this across and to actually phrase this, but I'm just going to have to come out with it. I remember thinking, what the hell is this doing on my TV screen? These girls aren't even good looking. <laughs> <laughs> the blonde one was kind of hot, wasn't she? No. <laughs> and, well, not to me. And I, I just don't, I didn't, this, 
I remember it really vividly having that thought. And I watched the clip again this week and I remembered it all. And we talked the other week in the um, when we talked about Love You Right, the just ridiculous clothing that they were wearing. Mm. Um, did you guys see the clip yeah. to this? I mean, there's no other way to watch, to hear this song but to watch the clip. Yeah, there's this. She's wearing nothing, isn't she? Yeah. And I just, I, I, I think that this song doesn't really have any of the, um, yeah, there's sort of screeching and yelping and screaming in um, in Love Your Art that kind of put you off, but I don't think that this song has any of that. At least that's got a bit of conviction to it or something, that this just feels like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, end because we needed a follow-up single. I don't, I don't know. That's what this says to me. But, yeah, no, I'm pretty... Uh, that's closer to the story than uh, you than you probably suspect, but let's move to Tim Coyle. <laughs> yeah, it's just such a generic 90s dance song. Um, when I saw it on the list that we'd be talking about it this week, I was like, I don't recall this song. And I was I was overseas. Um, my parents had taken my sister and I overseas for a couple of months in the middle of 1992. So in the back of my mind, I was thinking, this must have gotten to the top of the Australian charts when I was in Europe. And, and I missed out on it. This wasn't a number one in the UK? No. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it's trying very, very hard to appeal to a UK audience. Mm. But um, actually, I did remember the song when I played it this week. I was like, oh, oh, yeah, that. Mm. It's, yeah, as I said, it's just such generic 90s dance pop. And the comedically bad bit of the brawny muscle cage dancer with the can't get enough of your love baby stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, just kind of, you know, to top it all off. <laughs> mm. So, yeah, pretty dreadful. Yeah, it was a song that I was surprised got to number one. Like, I, I didn't remember this being a number one. And so I, when I found out we had to do this one, I was like, really? <laughs> Herp? Herp? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I agree with Tim Byron in that I think it's a slightly better song than Love You Right, just mm. in my opinion. It's just a little bit. I guess, again, a little bit sweeter, a little bit better put together, whereas Love Your Right has sort of one trick. At least there's, you know, a couple of hooks and uh, a bit of a groove to it, but it's yeah. it's just, yeah, dreadful. There's there's no emotion to it. It's, it's a com- complete computer-made abomination. And, yeah, it's kind of sad because the, uh, the thing that this song kind of shows is that at least one of those girls could kind of sing, but um, yeah, she had nothing to sing about and no artistry behind her. And uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say about Euphoria. I'm just sort of depressed that I even have to do it. So, um, <laughs> so tell us about the story of Euphoria. Well, then, I guess because you've done the research, well, I think. Yeah. So I, as I sometimes do, I get a little bit carried away when I go on the internet and research things. And I found myself on an E Street fan site. <laughs> <laughs> What? Is it on GeoCities? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I think the E Street fan site said about this song was another great song from Euphoria. Such E Street music. It was so great. The day. Look, so Euphoria and E Street sort of have a bit of a connection. Obviously, Simon Baker, who was in E Street, was in the first film clip, and then they continued to play Euphoria's first record of the cafe, and it seems to have been one of the main reasons for their success. Right. Uh, so they're sort of involved, and I think other people in those worlds, in the entertainment industry, were involved in each other. Um, but they only did create Love You Right 
kind of for that purpose, to get a sync on a big Channel 10 TV show, produce it, earn a bit of money, and that was it, to the point where they, where the girl who did the vocal on Love You Right isn't even in the film clip. You know, they basically didn't care enough. But that song did so well that uh, Andrew Kippel, the guy, decided to form a band behind it and try to make some extra money, and so he wrote a whole bunch of songs on the fly, including this one, uh, which also got to number one. And it's amazing because so the girl who did actually sing and the girl who's in the film clip for Love You Right, the one that's almost naked, just basically didn't get along because one wanted to be the star and one could sing. Oh. It was basically dream girls. <laughs> and, um, and, so, <laughs> and so they fought. And there was songs. Yeah, people left the band and stuff like that. And then, um, yeah, and the other thing that was really weird, and I guess the main thing for me spending hours on the internet looking up this band is that I found a few references that, Holly Garnett, who's the girl who couldn't sing in the band, had committed suicide about 10 years ago. Oh. Yeah, so I was going through death records in her hometown. And like oh, bloody hell, Danny. Yeah. Jeez. And so there is a listing for a H. Garrett, but, um, and, there's, and then I was going through old newspaper filings and stuff on that on, on lines trying to just figure out because there was no real whether or not she had committed suicide or not. What is this, CSI 90% hints? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, and it looks like she did, and the, and the family sort of covered it up. Um, well, covered it up, but I guess deliberately didn't want there to be uh, any publicity. And, yeah, and then the comments that have been made about the band by the ex-members of the band are just all negative as well, as you can imagine. They just, uh, yeah, it just... Like, you know, they had a couple of hit singles. They all hated each other. No real happy endings. No. Euphoria, unfortunately. Did you find out what happened to Karen, who was the darker-haired girl who could actually sing? She's still releasing music. She's yeah, writes songs. Yeah, but she joined a cult. Yes, that's right. <laughs> she joined the Raelian cult, who are like a UFO cult, who... Um, who, who believed that, um, you know, we were all sort of seeded here by extraterrestrials and they, um, that they sort of made a bit of news we a little while ago and they you know, claimed that they cloned yeah. a baby. So yeah, so she apparently joined them and is quoted in a newspaper article when that clone baby thing saying, well, the leader of the cult said it, so it must be true. <laughs> it, uh, it, yes. Well, that was probably how, what she said. About- and even worse. Even worse, the guy in the band, Andrew Klippel, mm. went on to produce like stuff by Human Nature and Lash. Lash, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did know that. I knew a guy that actually worked with him um, at the studio when they um, uh, when they were producing Lash, and that's where I knew the name from. And then yeah. I kind of tracked back to mm. the Wikipedia entry on New Forum and was like, Oh, Andrew Clip, right. Okay. Interesting. Is he, I'm guessing he's the guy in the one in a million film clip, the really sleazy one ear yeah. guy who just basically says stuff as if he's stalking you. Yeah, and he's in the um the <laughs> other one, the Love You Right clip yeah. as well. He's doing the hold me tight, don't let go, you want to hold me tight, don't oh, <laughs> And that brings us to our final song of tonight. This song was number one for two weeks on the 13th of June, 1992. And this is Take It From Me by Girlfriend.
that was Take It From Me by Girlfriend. Where do we start with this one, guys? Uh, oh, okay. Daisy um, Atkins. This. Who was the hot one from Girlfriend? Well, <laughs> you know that. It's the only question worth asking, really, is the point. This is probably the reason that I wondered about why I didn't find the girls in Euphoria attractive. <laughs> because you'd just seen the, the Girlfriend video clip and then you saw that. And, like, the girlfriend, like, I mean, they were girls, come on. Um, so, <laughs> did I like it? Probably. I'm just kind of struggling with the timing of this one because I was surprised to have this one come up now, remembering that I I liked Red Hot Chili Peppers then and I'm picking better by the Streaming Jets in our um, Choose Your Own Adventure episode last week. Seeing this one, I'm like... Yeah, but I like that too. How does that all compute? So, yeah, I, and I guess it was probably just the girls. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, I think I liked it then um, and I certainly liked I think it was the blonde one that was my favourite at the time, the one who you see on the motorbike for about six seconds in the video clip and that's all you see of it. You don't actually see her sing anything. It's possibly the one with the silly sunflower things on her boobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the one. She had sort of John Lennon glasses and a beard. Yeah. Thing, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Um, yep. But no, I mean, it's a, just it's an awful song. Um, that's kind of all that is to be said. But, you know, I liked it and the girls were pretty. Tim Coyle, who was the hot one in Girlfriend? <laughs> I can't even really remember Hang that. On, <laughs> that. Well, it was just five versions of Blossom bouncing around. <laughs> 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 oh, that's brilliant. That wins. Blossom. Yeah. Sorry, I'm looking at the album cover here. Yes, a... We're just trying to decide. Oh, Ro- Robin Lau is pretty cute and, yeah, whatever the one with the sunflower on a hat there. It, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> it's beside the point. I think the... the it's book... totally not beside the point. It's 100% <laughs> the point. <laughs> um, yeah, this, this falls under the category of sisters' music and therefore oh, the worst thing on the planet. And so, yeah, uh, I, I already had a fair degree of disdain for this song before I even had the capacity to really work out that it, it's not a very good song. And, yeah, so listening to it this week, it's um, just the, the on headphones in my office watching the YouTube, well, not watching the YouTube clip, having the YouTube clip play as I'm doing my work. And it was so distracting because there's so much going on and it was just so distracting and upsetting <laughs> to listen to it. It's just, can't you just do the same thing all the way through? I, uh. Yeah, there's quite a few bits to it. Yeah. Tim Byron, who was the hot one in Girlfriend? Well, I bought the cast single for this. <laughs> so I must have liked it at the time. Um, I think... I don't really remember who I thought was the hot one at the time. And I actually feel weird about judging who's the hot one now because they all look like they're about 14 and that just is weird. I feel like Tyrion Lannister trying to get with Sansa Stark, you know. But we were 10. It's cool. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. But I think at the time I was maybe slightly too young to be worried that much about which one was the hot one. I think Robin Lau was cute. And so the one who um, has the hat on and the sort of curly hair, like I look at her and I think I must have thought she was cute, but she looks like she's about 12. So, yeah, it's a Sansa Stark, Tyrion Lannister thing for me. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, as a song, I think I must have I liked it at the time. 
I listen to it now and it's kind of like another song that's kind of anonymous, really. It's not really doing much. It's not bad per se, I don't think. But don't it's you? not good. No, it's it's sort of a competent version of the kind of thing it is. I mean, like, uh, they're sort of sort of four years before the Spice Girls and they don't quite have the kind of spark that the Spice Girls had, but they're not that different in a way, apart from the fact they're from 92 or so. And so the, the beats are a few years older and that kind of thing. It's, it's okay. It's, it's not, it's not great. It's not terrible. It's just kind of okay. As far as I'm concerned. So yep. Kind of okay. Doing what it does. I, I guess I just said the same thing about euphoria. So it's a song that doesn't do much for me one way or the other. Danny, who was the hot one? <laughs> <Your friend? laughs> um, I'm looking at it now. Uh, the one that looks the most broken. No, um, the one, uh, uh, taking the Mr. Big route. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I guess maybe the, the brunette curly haired one. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, Robin was obviously very cute. Um, but yeah, and um, the only one to actually have a singing career post girlfriend. Well, okay. So listening to the song again this week, I think. The only takeaway was how much of a Robin Lau vehicle the song was. Yeah, definitely. And she yeah. could sing. She could definitely sing. You mentioned the Spice Girls, Tim Byron, but I actually, what this really reminds me of, it's something like the Rock Melons or something. Just like a nice, breezy, sort of, like, cheerful. Like the Chantuzies. Yeah, exactly. It's just, but aim more at Teenage Girls. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. it's just a bright, happy song for slightly bright happy people who don't really care about music like yeah it's just, it's just fine it does that job really really well with the the image that comes across in the film clip is just so fucking carefree and happy-go-lucky and, and wholesome wholesome yeah they're cute but they're not mm. sexy in any way you know you know they're not trying to be that you know yeah which and, is yeah. when when they had the makeover and became gf4 Yes. And they started to get a bit saucy. Yeah, I watched the video for Sooner or Later by GF4, and they were absolutely unrecognisable in yeah. that video clip from what they were in. Um, really? you know, it's only two years later, but like they, they, I couldn't recognise which was which because they looked so different to what they looked like in Take It From Me. I remember that I was really proud of myself one night at Music Trivia getting, um, you know, the what what was the name? What did Girlfriend change their name to after Robin Lyle <laughs> left them? <laughs> 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 um. But yeah, I, I remember thinking, even watching that film clip, that you can tell that Robin Lau is really, really talented. Um, and she hasn't really fulfilled the promise in any way. In fact, Girlfriend's completely forgotten now. Well, the fact that you can't really get it, I mean, it wasn't on. This is uh, maybe an interesting time to bring up that we always, of course, we always do the, the playlist for Spotify and audio and, and newly adding Deezer on there as well. Slim picking. This, this week, had, there was a total of two songs up there, and this one was took me a couple of goes to actually find the proper video as well on, on YouTube. Yeah, so this one's not on there, Euphoria is not on there, and Twelfth Man is not on there. Correct. So there's a two so songs. How come all these Australian, Australian songs from 92 are not there? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Oh, well, because they're not, like, I guess because they're not going concerns. I mean, it's like Red Hot Chili Peppers is still obviously a going concern. Mr. Big, bizarrely enough, still are. I mean, the records are still in print. Um, but like London being on a going concern, and they were on there. Yeah, it's yeah, fair call. It's, yeah. it's really just the, the labels cared enough to digitise the music. There's mm. Frente is not bloody on um, any of the digital services. So, you know, yeah. okay. half the Mushroom catalogue isn't. And, yeah, 
that's uh that's a point for me to make on another podcast. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it it is a shambles and it is a disgrace really what the state of uh the history of Australian music, uh like just availability. The other thing I wanted to say about girlfriend is that this was my very first gig. <laughs> oh wow! It was uh, like wow. a shopping centre. Yeah, it was at Westfield. It was at the Easter show. Ah, yeah. So my parents used to work. Yeah, we worked for a company. Had a store at the Easter show. Sometimes we help out. And as kids, that sounds amazing. But the whole long day, you just like get bored. And you now second day too, you're so bored. And so yeah, mum just sent me and my brother off to go see the band that was playing that night. It was Girlfriend, <laughs> and I still kind of remember it, like you know. And it's just it was in a field, it was in the woodchop field. Yeah, and they kind of did some <laughs> dancing, but they were just as wholesome. And- it's, it's, it's this odd, very Sydney-like story. Robin Lau was spotted at Australia's Wonderland, <laughs> and they played gigs okay. at the Easter Show in the woodchopping field. It's- well, <laughs> that must have been their career because. I don't want to make too big a point of this, but, like, they were kind of the first 90s girl group, weren't they? And In, in Australia, absolutely. And there was no other avenue for them. Get a mm. bit of commercial radio play, mm. hope this lasts two years, hope this lasts through to a second album, play some shopping dr- centres. Then put a mini dress on and see yeah. where that takes you. Because you're not going to play the Horton. No. no. And there's not, like... Yeah, it's a very short-lived pop career until I guess the Spice Girls came along and turned it, turned the career of those sort of bands into something else. I read this actually quite amazing article about the history of Girlfriend. Um, that was on someone's live journal. The best bit of the um of that bit was there's a, a quote from that uh that blog. During one of Girlfriend's early interviews, a cynical music journalist asked the girls outright, "What made them any different from new kids on the block?" Robin Lau answered, "We've got tits." <laughs> oh, yes. Whereas four of the new York, new kids in the block didn't. Um, <laughs> as usual, before we wrap up, we'll go around the table and see what everyone's favourite songs were for tonight. And this should definitely be uh, an interesting selection this week. Uh, and just to run through the songs again, it was. 12th Man featuring MCG Hammer with Marvelous. Uh, second song tonight was Red Hot Chili Peppers Under the Bridge. Third song was Mr. Big To Be With You. Our fourth song of tonight was Euphoria's One in a Million. And our final song was Girlfriend Take It From Me. Tim Coyle. Choose a favourite amongst that bunch. Well, as hard, hard as it is to go past what I've pegged as the oral bestiality of Mr. Big, uh, I've got to go with Under the Bridge. <laughs> Tacey Atkins. <laughs> um, yeah, as, as as much as I feel surprised ever naming the Red Hot Chili Peppers as my favourite in any group of anything, <laughs> um, I will go with Under the Bridge also. Tim Byron. Part of me wants to choose the 12th man, but that part of me is an idiot. <laughs> So I think I'm going to choose the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> Danny, uh, yeah. I, I want to abstain. Like, <laughs> like I, I don't like Marvelous. I hate that Red Hot Chili Peppers song. I hate to be with you. I hate one in a million. So kindly, girlfriend. This <laughs> <laughs> was fine. By default. Uh, so, yeah. So in... in you know, reference to the first gig I ever saw. Girlfriends take it from me is uh, <laughs> is where I am going to end up. 
that was a piss poor week. Of, it, uh, yeah, it really it was, was a piss poor like, week. It was a piss poor week of songs, but a pretty interesting week of conversation, though. Yeah. I will say. Yes, we do say so ourselves. I'm sure you enjoyed it out there, listeners. Um, Tacey, do you want to let people know where they can find us on the internet? <laughs> That's not what I meant. I mean, it was just... Ah, uh, forget it. Um, where can you find us? Yes, find us uh, on Twitter, Tumblr, and you can send us an email at Gmail. We are 90% hits, percent spelled out in words in all cases, um, and Facebook as well. And 90 is the numbers. Yes, nine zero P E R C E N T H I T S. Basically, how it's spelled on your iTunes feed if you're listening to this. Um, uh, and, yeah, that. And speaking of which, please leave us a comment and rate us on iTunes. It helps us uh, get found. And yeah, if you enjoyed it, we'd also love to know your feedback as well. We've been getting some really wonderful comments on the blog Absolutely. and by email that we, um, yeah, that we are really helping us put this show together. We'll be back next week with another five songs, which just looking at the list now is definitely going to be better than this week. So tune back in next week, uh, and thanks for listening. Vinderella cut it up one time. We are a rock revolving around the golden sun. Welcome back here to the MCG together for the wacker. <laughs> I just vomited in my mouth a little. <laughs> I learned that this afternoon just for y'all. <laughs> sure. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this afternoon you mean 1992. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. well, that, so, save that May 17, 1992. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>